Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Friday, April 8th. Back-to-back days uh, joining you here. Uh, Gamecock fans, good to be with you. I hope you're getting ready for the weekend, unwinding, uh, getting ready for some, uh, I don't know, Gamecock baseball this weekend. Maybe uh, keep your eye on a little basketball news coming out later today, assistant coach-wise, and, uh, you know, one week before the spring football game coming up on Friday. Thanks to Heritage Digital, as always, for being a sponsor uh, of this podcast. Uh, and of course, our news and notes segment uh, at the beginning. Um, and not a lot of news. D- didn't want to say this. Carrie Rich uh, has joined the uh, Carolina basketball staff. Uh, BigSpur.com contributor. Used to be a co host of mine on the radio uh, in Columbia. Friend of mine for a long time. Obviously, was uh, one of the early instrumental. Uh, basketball players during the Eddie Fogler era at South Carolina, well-respected. Everybody knows him. And I, I think it's a positive uh, that uh, Lamont Paris has hired him. You know, there's Lamont Paris coming in. He's from Ohio. He's worked kind of up in that upper Midwest area, uh, Wisconsin for seven years. Then Chattanooga is kind of his first deal in the South. And uh, now he's in Columbia. And as we all know, the South Carolina basketball community is is a tough nut to crack for a lot of outsiders. So I think having an insider there uh, certainly helps the process of of building relationships. Uh, and there's nobody better to build relationships than, than Kerry Rich. His title is special assistant to the head coach. Uh, so he'll be working side by side with Lamont Paris with alumni relations. Uh, a lot to be smoothed out there as there always seems to be with that program. Uh, and I'm not, I'm to the point now, I'm not blaming anybody for it. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think some of the alumni, maybe, you know, they want to voice their opinions about things and they care about their school and don't like it when things are not going well. Some probably just like to hear themselves talk. 
some actually are productive. Uh, I actually uh, want to look at it. Uh, you know, uh, I think there's a lot to be said on, on both sides. Uh, and this thing keeps coming up, you know. In football, I, I, I thought a few years back, and you'll still occasionally hear people talk about, oh, the former players this and the former players that in football. But, but there was a big issue in football with it, uh, with you know, some coaches not making guys feel welcome. Uh, I think Shane Beamer's done a great job of it. I thought Muschamp did a pretty good job of it. I thought Spurrier did a good job of it. Um, <clears throat> Beamer, though, uh, probably is on a different level just because, you know, unlike Muschamp, unlike Spurrier, unlike Holtz especially, you know, those guys were coming into South Carolina. They hadn't been at South Carolina before. So you kind of, you know, when you, when you, when you know people – and you have those established relationships. Beamer was there for four years before. Uh, it's kind of easier, uh, I think, to take that kind of approach, just human nature, that type of thing. But basketball, they, they've been pissing off former players since the McGuire era. Uh, and they've had chances to make unifying hires. This is probably the third time. You know, the first two times were Bobby Crimmins, the second time. And we know what Bobby Crimmins did when he actually took the job. And then the, this last time with B.J. Mackey. Uh, but but I think it's smart getting carry on 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 staff, and I think uh, you know you got to give credit uh, to Ray Tanner. I, I think for facilitating that relationship, um, and that's uh, that's very, in my opinion, by by Tanner. And I know I called the higher tone deaf, and it was for that reason. Um, but that's a that's kind of a good makeup call, you know, to get carry in there and. You know, have him start to to build relationships and let people know who Lamont Paris is. Uh, you know, I, I believe it's also probably safe to say two of his assistants from Chattanooga, Bronson and Shannon, are coming with him as on on the court coaches. The third one, yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of talk out there uh, about a guy, maybe a name that you'll recognize. Uh, I don't know. I don't have the exact names. Uh, but I, I think he's looking for a big-time experienced hire for that other spot. Uh, the third assistant at Chattanooga is a guy named David McKinley. I expect he'll be on the support staff in some capacity. Uh, and then it goes on and on and on. I also hear that they're going to expand, uh, in my opinion, this is how, how I took the info, uh, the personnel for men's basketball. Um, you know, in other words, more people, you know, social media team, recruiting department, that kind of thing, in terms of staffing that thing up, you know, not as much as football because you don't you don't need as many coaches as football. But, uh, you know, staffing that thing up a little bit, uh, getting some guys in there that, that can really kind of help it roll. Um, and so, anyway, back to Kerry, I, you know, not a better person out there, uh, not a more deserving person, uh, you know, is a guy that's – you know, like I said, connected on both ends to the university, to the Gamecocks, but also to the basketball community in the state of South Carolina, and especially around Columbia. He's a Columbia native and all that. So, and I, and I think he could be a guy too that, you know, when recruits come on campus, you know, he, he's a guy that could uh, have that relationship uh, good enough to get it done and help this staff close. So, Congratulations to Kerry Rich. Again, on a personal level, I, I could not be happier for anyone else. You know, there's not a really very many people on earth that are as good people uh, as Kerry Rich. And there's certainly not a lot of people on earth that are per as perfect for that job uh, as Kerry is. So 
Uh, hats off to the captain. And uh, uh, for those of you that read his stuff on the bigspur.com, obviously that's going away because it's a conflict of interest, but uh, you know, we, we certainly will have good basketball coverage moving forward uh, as we always do. And we wish him the best and, you know, all that good stuff. So, uh, so there's that. Um, looking around uh, at baseball this weekend, I think that uh, there was some news, or I don't think, uh, you know, I think this is a, an interesting uh, baseball series. Georgia's ranked 14th in the country coming in. They're kind of on one of their upswings that they take in baseball. They're up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, they're up this year, 14th in the country. But their star pitcher, Jonathan Cannon's out of the rotation. Uh, strained muscle in his forearm does not look good. So they're down a pitcher, a starting pitcher, and the Gamecocks will uh, take their shot. You know, Carolina's 14 and 14. You know, you, there's been a wide range of emotions, you know, beating North Carolina, beating Vandy two out of three, beating Texas two out of three. Uh, and then sorriness like uh, losing at Missouri last weekend. And that's uh, – uh, it, it's interesting, you know, to kind of look at and, and see what's happening, you know, with, with this baseball team. But you, you, you got to at some point get on a hot streak if you're going to make the postseason. Uh, and I think it's very important. Uh, I You know, some people may disagree with me, but I just don't – I don't know that you can keep Mark Kingston around for a year six if – no matter how many good young players he allegedly has with, with five years. And, 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 you know, one of those years was canceled early. That team wasn't going anywhere at the time. I mean, you never know. Uh, with, you know, a historically bad year. His second year with the belly flop at the plate in the regional when you had a trip to Omaha right in front of you. Uh, and then, you know, this year, which has been, needless to say, a struggle with some very embarrassing losses. Uh, you know, and, and like I said, I'm not making any declarative statements about he should stay, he should go, the program's in the tank, because the minute you do that in the sport of baseball is the minute you look like an idiot. Because <laughs> a team will turn it around or it'll completely drop off the face of the earth, and that's just that's just how it is. But, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and defend the direction of the program until the direction of the program turns around, Right. And so that's uh, that's my take on baseball. But Cannon is out for the dogs, uh, so we'll see if that matters and, and what the Gamecocks can can do this weekend. Uh, first pitch seven o'clock tonight, Founders Park, uh, there in Columbia, uh, South Carolina. So uh, an SEC Network Plus will be televising it. All right, that's really the news for today. How about that? A lot of not a lot of hard news out there, but you know, since we had an episode yesterday. Uh, I think that's uh, to be expected. Uh, so moving into the second segment, we call it our analysis segment here on the podcast. Cindy Searfoss Realtor sponsors this one. She's married to a diehard Gamecock fan. Uh, she's been in the upstate of South Carolina for more than 35 years and would love to help you with your real estate needs. Contact Cindy, 864-414-5271 or C. Searfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S, at cbcane.com, C-B-C-A-I-N-E.com. That's her email address. Caldwell Banker Kane, right there in my hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina. Got a nice canvas aerial shot of downtown Spartanburg. I could probably point out Danny Morgan Avenue if I really looked hard on it. And that's where Cindy is, uh, and she will help you out with all your real estate needs. 864-414-5271, Cindy Searfoss, a proud sponsor 
of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. And please tell her JC sent you. That helps me, helps her feel like she's getting her money's worth, uh, all that good stuff. And she certainly uh, has been a loyal sponsor of the pod. Uh, so if you're looking you know, to try to figure out this real estate market and you're in the upstate, Cindy's your girl to help you. All right. Um, I wanted to talk about this and pile on a little bit. Subject we got on yesterday because we were talking about Bud Elliott. And Bud made some comments and riled some people up. And we talked about him. And I mentioned that he's the guy, you know, that, that created the blue chip ratio. And I think a lot of people don't understand it, right? And, um, you know, I was asked on the message board yesterday, I was like, well, what – what is South Carolina's blue chip uh, ratio right now? And I went through it, and I've said many, many times that the Gamecocks, you know, have to, you know, not have to, but the next, the good next step is to start signing more blue chip players uh, out of the high school ranks. Uh, you know, I think in the portal, a two-year window in the portal, they've got a lot of really good players. Uh, and the portal – uh, is a different animal with with you know what guys want and look I, I, can th- can this program thrive uh, with you know recruiting like they are with a largely developmental class from the high school ranks you know, getting guys from in state coaching them up and then supplementing with really good players from the portal yeah I mean that, that, you know you're talking about a thirty person class uh, right now and a third of them almost are from the portal and what a third of your class can all hits. And then you got other guys and let's say half those hit, that's a pretty good hit rate and hit rate usually equals wins. Um, so yeah. Can they thrive doing that? But you know, what's going to get it really beyond the level that, uh, you know, Steve Spurrier had it at most of the time. What's going to get it to where, it's a shocker when the Gamecocks finish seven and six in a down year. What's what, what's that going to happen? What, what's that what's that going to do? You know, to take seven and six from average to below average because right now it's average, right? And that's you know probably going to be sign you know some guys that are four and five stars, more of them, uh, and develop that talent as well. Everybody's got to develop. Four and five stars do too, but uh, you know you you got to keep doing that and then keep. Landing guys like Tyshawn Wanamaker and Jaheim Bell and, you know, Farrow Cooper and Debo Samuel and all the other three stars that have gone on and or that will go on and, and have great careers, uh, you know, not only in Carolina, but in the NFL. And there's a lot of guys like that in the state because uh, it's, 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 you know, since I left the evaluation game, you know, there's probably one person or two people out there that, that are even paying attention to players in South Carolina. Part of that, too. Uh, has to do with Clemson's success. And, you know, a lot of times recruiting analysts, they they kind of – when you when you got 50 states to deal with, you're, you're looking who's the best program in the state, why didn't they offer, and then in your mind you automatically downgrade them. Um, you know, and then that's happened uh, in South Carolina, I, I think. Uh, it doesn't happen in Alabama for whatever reason. It doesn't happen in Texas for whatever reason. It uh, happens here. Uh, and, and that's not to say that, you know – that some of these guys are all Americans and didn't, you know, didn't get their, you know, didn't get, get didn't get their due coming out, um, you know. But I, I think that, you know, this state for a while now, you kind of look at the composite, and, and it's everybody, not just our guys at twenty four seven, and you sort of scratch your head, you really do. 
uh, at some of the rankings and stuff like that. But, you know, so, so you're going to get some three-star guys just by the, you know, for the nature of being in South Carolina. Uh, and you're going to recruit the state and evaluate the state. So you're going to get some three-star guys. So I, don't, I don't know that, you know, and you look at, and people talk about Clemson, Clemson's blue chip ratio when they finally won, it was barely over 50. But if you really dig in uh, to the people that were playing for them that year in the two deep, a lot of three-star kids from South Carolina, a lot of low four-star kids from South Carolina, like Ben Bolware, he was barely a four-star and like uh, Mike Williams and all that. So anyway, I did some research and, and, and I say all that not to say the Gamecocks are winning the national championship. Uh, I say that because I get sick sometimes, uh, especially with certain members of the fan base that I, I don't think really understand recruiting, though they follow it, that, you know, every time a three-star kid commits, they groan. And that kid's not, that kid hadn't even stepped foot on campus. You know, nobody, he didn't watch his film. He didn't look at his measurables. He just, all oh, three stars. Um, and, I, and I think that's a very, very dishonest way to look at it. Now, again, more, the more blue chippers, the better, you know, uh, because the goal uh, for every program in the country is to get to a championship level. And obviously you cannot win a national championship. Without having that, it's never happened. It would be an outlier. So South Carolina's blue chip ratio right now, when you count the players on the roster and the incoming class, is 29.6%. Now, that's up from like 20, right? So it's moving up. And uh, I counted 24-7 sports composite. Uh, I did count the rankings for the transfer portal players. Uh, I counted the portal rankings, in other words. So – Rattler with the portal rankings is a mid four star instead of a five. So I did not count him as a five. Uh, you know, uh, Lavoisier Carroll was a four, high four coming out of uh, high school. He's now high three. So he, you know, I didn't count him. You know, I was very conservative with it. Uh, so 29.6%. And that's climbing, right? Now, look, within this vast, sea of three stars that the Gamecocks have. Um, you know, there's some guys that that certain evaluators do rank four stars. You know, Anthony Rose, Nick Emanuore, Trey Jones, Xavier Leggett. Uh, you know, and then there's guys like Tyshawn Wanamaker, four-star for like nine months, and then he drops. Braden Davis was a four-star for nine months, and he dropped. Emory Floyd, same way. Sherrod Green was a top 100 player before he dropped. Um you know, so that's uh, – there's always – you're always splitting hairs, you know, numbers-wise with all this. Again, the next step, though, is to get more four- and five-star guys. It would make my life easier, you know. And, and I think part of this, too, is this. You know, Muschamp was really big on evaluations, and I think Muschamp could evaluate well. And, and you can look and see the guys that – have come through the program that have made it to the highest level that he recruited. I, th- I think he's a great evaluator. Um, but people want to equate that to wins. And, and that's all that, you know, there's so much more that goes into it than just, Hey, this guy's got upside, you know, and, and all of that. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, some of these no brainer guys that Muschamp went after he finished second on, you know, he got to coach them, Trevon Walker and Devonte Wyatt. Right. Channing Tindall <laughs> at Georgia, one of the best defenses 
in college football history this past year. So, you know, there were some misses, uh, but there were some good evaluations there. And, and look, you're kind of seeing it with some of the better players on the team. Um, you know, Zaquandre White was a three-star guy, four stars out of high school. Kevin Harris, great evaluation. You know, Jaheim Bell, great evaluation. Um, you know, the list goes on and on as far as the three-star guys that, that have played well. Uh, you know, for this team and, and will continue to play well. So uh, all is not lost, but I, I do think there's a, some blowback there where, you know, from Carolina people where, where you look at it and you're like, whoa, and, and people always forget about how Clemson built their program. Right. And then you get the argument, well, they're in the ACC and all that. Well, yeah, that's true. They still want a national two national championships. Um, you know, but you look down the you look at Clemson now, and it's way more. They're way over the blue chip ratio now. And you look at Ohio State and the success they've had. Way, way. Alabama's obviously. I think Alabama's an outlier because, yes, they get four and five star guys. But you know, you look at the percentage of five stars that go to Bama, they get drafted. It's fifty one percent. I think everybody else is in the twenties. So there you go. Um. But, you know, I, I do think that some people that don't really understand recruiting but follow it, you know, have a misguided opinion uh, on it. Now, uh, and I'm going to tell you why I say that. Because, you know, everything's based off 24-7 sports composite, which means it's a algorithm that takes everybody's rankings and spits out a number and then ranks, shuffles and ranks accordingly. And then you're in a range or the four-star range, whatever. So it's kind of a consensus, and that's fine. Um, and uh, I like that. Uh, I like that. Whether or not Carolina's guys are – I feel like they're too low or too high. I like that. I think that's uh, – it takes some bias out of it, uh, It, for the most part. I'll get to some of that in a second. But it also, you know, kind of gives you an idea generally of what everybody thinks. Uh, and, and I think it ends up being more accurate when you compare it to the NFL draft. Um, I mean, there's been some drafts where recruiting industry looks pretty bad. You know, two five stars drafted in the first round. Now that number is usually four or five or six, especially when you're talking about the the big time guys. Uh, I think you know those guys pretty much. You know, it's it's a higher percentage now of five star guys getting drafted where you know you think they should, as to compared to where it used to be. Um, but when you're talking about the blue chip ratio, you're not just talking, you're not talking about five-star guys or first round draft picks or you're talking about four-star, five-star. And so a large number, your larger number is from the four-star area. And so guys that are 0.8901 generally fall in the four-star end. Guys that are 0.8900 or eight eight, nine, nine are in three stars. So there's a line of demarcation. And the reason you do that, there's no exact science. You know, the algorithm is programmed to crunch, uh, frankly, NFL draft data, uh, how many guys get drafted, whatever, and then cut it off. And you have to. So otherwise you just have everybody just be a four-star. And then, then, then what does the blue chip ratio tell you? <laughs> uh but, you know, so I went through Carolina's guys. And, and look, again, 
Well, there's some guys that, that were ranked 0.811 who, who are really good and some guys that were 0.911 that can't play dead in a movie. And there's a lot of them, right? In fact, there for a while, um, I would look around at Power 5 schools and nine times out of ten, if a guy if, – if a guy – if a program took a two-star player, those guys typically were much better than half the three stars in their class because nobody gives two stars anymore. And so if you have a, a staff that loves this guy that's a two-star, chances are he can play some ball. Chances are he's pretty good. You know, that kind of thing. And, and, and so that that was kind of a trend for the while, a while. But if you care about this, I'm going to say this. Uh, I looked at, you know, who are the Gamecocks signing? Because, because again, you, you have the portal rankings, which are a work in progress as well. And there's a lot of guys that were that are four-star performance-wise at the college level that, that are like 88s, 89s. So I looked at it, I was like, okay, well, who is in the high three-star category? Like the 5.7 on the rival scale or 0.8700 or higher – um, in that range, 24-7 sports composite, because that means those guys are, are maybe like two rankings. Like, you know, let's say they're 36th receiver in the country. They're, you know, being, thir- you know, they're three spots. You know, if they can get to 33, you know, they're four stars. And as we all know, if you go take a look at the position rankings, uh, sometimes that's uh, – Sometimes those guys that are three spots behind are really good. You look up above them, you know, how did that happen? In fact, that happens a lot. You know, so so I figure, well, these guys are close. Not saying that South Carolina actually has a blue chip ratio that's much higher. That's not me because, hey, the numbers are the numbers. And I think South Carolina needs to get there to 50%. Uh, I also think that, you know, there's guys like Anthony Rose and, and Landon Sampson in this class that Beamer just signed that were four-star players, obviously. And for whatever reason, they didn't get moved up. Even when Landon Sampson goes uh, to the U.S. Army All-American Bowl, or what used to be called that, and shows out and catches passes, he, he gets moved up from an 87 to an 88. Remember me telling you yesterday about uh, some guy in Texas that does evaluations for us that all of a sudden – you know, comes in and overrides the rating on Colin Sandler, you know, from us, from coaches, you know, from people that are even affiliated with Clemson. And they just, you know, remember me telling you about that? Well, there's probably a reason there that Landon Sampson didn't go up either. And it probably has everything to do with overvaluing offers, you know, in my opinion. You know, I don't know. Landon Sampson may be a bust. Who knows? But I think of all the things you need to do to be an elite recruit, there's really nothing he did not do. And against some of the best, quote unquote, best talent in the country, he shined. You know, so that's that's an apples to apples comparison. Uh, Anthony Rose, no brainer, in my opinion. But, you know, I guess you got to get those, some of those, uh, you know, low four star guys going to Texas where they don't play defense and, you know, or they got to stay at low four star, right? You, know, you got your Florida, Florida State, Miami in state guys that have to, you know, whatever, take care of the brands. That's the only explanation I can give. I'm not accusing anybody of being biased. I'm just saying that sometimes brand uh, is the makes is the deciding factor. I never let that happen, but uh, you know, unless it was a proven brand like at a certain position. So anyway. Uh, 
you know, so I looked at it and I was like, okay, so who is 0.08700 and above? You know, who was right there? Who, if somebody somewhere had, had moved them up two, three spots or added a point onto their total or whatever, who's in four-star range? And you'd be surprised. Uh, there's 21 players on the roster, including this past class in that category. 13 of those, 13 of those are in the 2022 cycle. So there's a lot of guys that were right there. So if you care about the numbers and you care about getting there, and you think this is your ticket, your golden ticket, like Willy Wonka in the chocolate, chocolate factory, Oompa Loompa, um, then you should be, you know, encouraged because numerically there's all these guys that are close, you know, and, and, and many times that kind of uh, separation in the rankings, it, it's just like one person not being uh, in one network, not being on board with this guy. Like it happened to Ja'Kai Moore. It's a shame. Ja'Kai Moore, clearly a four-star on 24-7, clearly a four-star on ESPN, top 200 player. Uh, Carolina beat Penn State and Clemson for him uh, out of Virginia. Big-time guy. Rivals, 5.5, low four, low three-star. So the composite with their algorithm, because his rivals ranking, whoever was doing it there just was like, ah, I don't, I don't even know if they watched him. <laughs> you know, that drug him down. So he's a three-star. You know, and so when you look at it, you know, I mean, like, okay, so certain outlets had Nick M and Warre as, as a four, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, so this, a lot of times these guys in this range, someone somewhere has them four stars. Uh, someone somewhere has them four stars. And, uh, you know, so that's yeah, back. So, so what are we going to do? We're going to downgrade guys now because there's more recruiting networks i don't know man uh, i just don't know i just think that uh you know i i don't know i don't know i don't know if that's a sound way to do it uh, but again not saying this roster is as well as good as it could be uh i'm just saying that you know that's uh that's kind of how it goes and rivals you know i think had i think they did have samson as a four-star player I accept. Okay. It asked me to do something. I'm looking up and say, yes, they did have him as a four, 238th in the country, which I think is appropriate. So, you know, somebody somewhere had a lot of these guys ranked high. And, and when you plug in those numbers, it's 51.6%. Now, somebody asked me today, they're like, oh, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, I, I don't think it means anything because I think there's a lot of brand name schools. If you really drug it out, you know, because nobody talks about that when they're hyping the blue chip ratio. And, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm maybe maybe it lines up with the best teams in the country. I'd be surprised. though. But there's a lot of brand teams that aren't worth a fiddly flu or that haven't been looking at you. Southern Cal, Miami. I don't want to say Tennessee right now because they were good last year and they lost a lot of those highly rated guys. Florida State would be one. North Carolina, I think you can make a uh, a good case. Uh, they are, you know, they're 500 football team under Mac Brown. Um, I said something about that yesterday, but uh, you know, and and then you know the same organization 
many times, you know, ranked programs like NC State and Wake Forest in the top 10. And they, they don't even come close to the blue chip ratio. So, you know, which is it? What is it? That's my question. What is it? You know, you, you got a guy at Michigan State making $9 million a year now, you know, based on just what he did in the portal last year. You know, that roster's not full of blue chippers. Everybody hypes him. So, you know, what is it? But, uh, you know, I, what, what I think that number says, mm, excuse me, mm. is that there are a lot of quality prospects in the 2022 class. Uh, I think it does mean that, you know, the opinions on some of these guys were slightly higher uh, than maybe some of the guys must champ signed. That doesn't mean they're going to be better. Uh, but but I also think that means that, you know, these guys were close. And sometimes in recruiting, when you're talking about rankings, the, the closer you are, statistically, the better your chances of panning out when you're looking at, like, you know, 13 different players. Now, individually, that's a different story. So, anyway, I thought that was interesting. Obviously, you know, what will this number be like, you know, when they kick it off against Georgia State this year, it's probably going to be lower because there's probably going to be some guys that were ranked high that, you know, came into Carolina that are going to be gone. So it's going to take some four-star guys away, uh, you know, and, and and really for portal guys, it's tougher to get the four-star ranking. You know, I think uh, Wells, Stogner, Rattler, and Reed all had four stars, and but then the rest were three, including Carroll, who – not sure why he's a three. I mean, he's only been in college for a year and played a different position. Uh, but that's okay. Um, the, the portal rankings are hard to do, and, and I get that. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see sort of what happens. But, um, you know, I, I, that, that number's probably going to drop. Uh, but I'll, I also want to stress to all of you out there, you know, that are listening to this, to, to just chill out. <laughs> uh and, and understand it's a process. I mean, I see some things on the message board that's like, we're so far away. You know, that number needs to go. If you're going to, you know, you need to, you know, if you're ever going to compete. No, South Carolina's already competing. You know, they beat Florida and North Carolina last year soundly. Uh, and they're the, both those schools' blue chip ratio is way higher than the Gamecocks. Same with Auburn. And same with just about everybody on the schedule. So, I get you know, you know, don't – and look, it's going to make it really hard to recruit at Carolina if every time there's a three-star kid signed, you know, and your fans, all they care about is the star rating, and they sort of dismiss them. And look, I, I, in general, that doesn't happen a whole lot. I mean, everybody was fired up about Landon Sampson, fired up when they got Jaheim Bell, all that other stuff, three-star guys. I mean, in general, Gamecat fans are like, welcome, it's good. Um, but you know, if it gets to the point where everybody's focused on the blue chip ratio, it's going to turn some players off. I mean, like Jaheim Bell's a good example here. You know, he flipped from Florida, uh, and had and visited Oklahoma and thought about going to Oklahoma, you know, but South Carolina fans made him feel welcome. Bobby Bentley did a great job with him getting him flipped. Uh, but if I were Jaheim Bell and I were three-star and I kept looking at it, and, you know, I saw on Twitter where everybody's just downplay. We need more four-star guys, you know, Bell, whoever, 
I'm probably going to take my butt to Norman or Gainesville, especially Norman, because I think I think those fans sort of understand, you know. But you know, look, you guys are doing a good job. I just I want to nip this in the bud before, no pun intended, uh, before you know, as we move along in the recruiting journey, I, I think that there needs to be some explanations because, you know, like I said, I'm not a fan of the blue chip ratio. Uh, it, it would not have been something that, that I would have put my name on because it, it's just it's simplistic. And when you look at the history of college football, one of the hardest things to do is to win a national championship in the sport. There's not, not I mean, there's a lot of great programs that have never done it, that win a lot or that haven't done it in a long time. I mean, it, it's hard. Hard to win the NCAA tournament in basketball, too. But, uh, you know, to have that breakthrough, you know, very few schools have had the breakthrough. Even Clemson, which is a good model as far as a slower build to get to the point where they're at, uh, had won it in 1981. That was a year they went from six wins to 12 when they won it. And so there's that to fall back on. You know, it's hard. It's hard to break free, breakthrough. You know, Virginia Tech is a program that did it. They didn't win it, but they got there. Oregon has not won it, but they've gotten there. Kansas State's been oh so close. When you talk about the programs that have kind of risen from the ashes, poor Oklahoma State can't seem to catch a break when every you know they're in their up cycle every five years or so. You know, in the SEC, you know, it's been since the early '60s since a team outside of the Big Six has won the league championship. How about that? And Kentucky tied for it one year. But uh, and I think it got taken away or something. But Ole Miss, that's the last time anybody outside of the Big Six, Tennessee, Auburn, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, LSU, has won the league. You know, so, so I think, you know, it, it's kind of fault, either false hope or, you know, false, uh, false criticism or false negativity to hang your hat on the blue chip ratio because all that is, is, Hey, uh, half of the players on a, one of the few teams that has any business winning a national championship were pretty good recruits. I mean, what kind of sense does that make? Hey, uh, Oh no. Crap. No crap. Half the players on this roster were pretty good recruits. Oh yeah. Really? You know, you should probably want to bat more than 500, shouldn't you? Um, you know, so I, I don't think it's applicable to a to a build other than maybe a big picture piece of data. But you guys wanted to talk about it, so I looked it up. and You know, I wanted to kind of point out that if that's what you care about, and, and I don't blame you. I mean, look, and not everybody has the time to sit there and research recruits all day, you know, and I get that. So, so you want something kind of, in a nice little box and I get it. So, and, and I'm not criticizing you for it. Just don't, you know, just give some of these guys that are three stars a chance before you say, ah, they're garbage or whatever. Um, so, but yeah, people want a nice little box. I get it. But, but outside of, you know, what I said, uh, you know, I think there's better ways to evaluate uh, if a build I'm not saying rebuild because I don't think Shane Beamer inherited a massive rebuild, but a build, uh, and if it's heading in the right direction, you know, and, and if you're looking for something beyond wins and losses, because you know, obviously we got 
you know, 13, 14, 12, 13, 14, 15 Saturdays to watch our teams. And then the other 350 days plus we're sitting there talking about it. And we're usually talking about roster and recruiting and coaching and personnel and all that happy stuff. And I love it. Um, but I just would not look at that 29.6 and go, oh, Carolina's doomed. They have no business winning this year. Lucky to get to six. You know, nah, I don't know, man. Look at the players. Maybe they will only win six. I'm not making any predictions. But – I wouldn't look at that 29.6% and go, uh, and then I would not either, like somebody did on the message board, dismiss that there are 13 guys in the 2022 class that you know, had one guy somewhere thought a little bit more highly of them, or actually maybe, I don't know, evaluated them properly. Maybe man, I don't even know who they are, and I'm just throwing a guy out there. And, and look, in recruiting these days, the three-star range is really weird. Uh, so I'm almost – I almost don't even want to talk about them being high three-stars because, I mean, that's a big delta for that group. But, you know, somebody somewhere thought a little higher, you know, uh, you probably should have in some of these cases, then they're four stars, and then that number is much higher. And so in conclusion, you know, guys, the roster is not that far off. It wasn't that far off last year. You know, there were other reasons why – you know, Carolina looked like a dumpster fire at times, you know, and, and it wasn't overall talent level. There, there were a lot of different things, lack of talent at certain positions, certainly. All right. So the blue chip ratio <laughs> just had to uh, get right there and do it. I uh, wanted to talk about Tony Rojas, linebacker from Fairfax, Virginia. He visited, uh, had a good visit. I think the Gamecocks are definitely in it. Um, I want to also talk about the, the running back room uh, for a little bit. And that's, that's kind of the recruiting end of things, Tony Rojas. I did, I did check on uh, Camden High School, five, four or five-star defensive lineman Xavier McLeod, uh, and things are still pretty much good with Carolina there. Uh, I know he's been releasing a top ten and visiting a lot of schools, but uh, – you know, contacts I talk with uh, still think the Gamecocks are in excellent shape. That's where my crystal ball is uh, for him. Uh, you know, more recruiting uh, talk definitely forthcoming. So, so the running back room, uh, obviously it's deep again. Obviously Carolina couldn't run the ball consistently well last year. There's a lot that went into that. Uh, and, and I'll just say this. Um, you know, Kevin Harris, Saquandre White are gone. I'm not going to understate that and just say because, you know, Lloyd or McDowell had a pretty good freshman year when he was healthy and Lloyd was a five-star and Bill Smith led Wake in rushing and Lavasia Carroll and blah, blah, blah. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, they're, they're, they should be better. I think the run game has a chance to be better, and, and here's why. I think the offensive line has no excuses for not being better. Uh, I think that uh, – the passing game is going to help back some teams off. And if you think about certain games last year, especially early, they just did not – opposing defense had no reason. I mean, they thought, well, South Carolina, they've got Kevin Harris, they've got Lloyd, they've got these guys. They're going to try to run it. And so we'll just, you know, attack the line of scrimmage and outnumber them. And then there was no answer. And then the passing game, you know, weren't a lot of vertical threats. And that's what you have to have uh, is a vertical threat because you got to make them pay. You know, you get one-on-ones. They're stacking it up. You get one-on-ones on the outside. That's, you know, the offense is successful if you've got weapons. 
Um, but but here's what I want, I want to say, and I, I talked about this on the side today uh, with the running back specifically. Now, look, there's going to be going to be uh, Spencer Rattler being able to make yardage with his feet if Lodoti plays. He will be healthy. He's obviously a lot more mobile than he showed last year to Karen Joyner. Uh, so quarterback's going to have some options. You know, you have these guys like like Bell and Joyner uh, that are wide back types that are going to get carries to him, Bell. Uh, you know, and then you got different types of backs. And I'm like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people for years, this is one of those boogeyman things, I think, the running back rotation. Uh you know, people got all used to get on Bobby Bentley about it. And I think everybody just ignored the fact that, yeah, he had Rico Dowdle and Tyson Williams and then A.J. Turner and Mon Denson. And, you know, Rico was one, Tyson was two, and they would go through a game and Rico would get hurt. And so, yeah, you're not going to use the same rotation because, oh, he's hurt. <laughs> you know, uh, and people, oh, it just didn't make any sense. And, and that's an excuse people use sometimes. Uh, when things are not going well, you know, oh, rotation. Nah, that's not, that's not it. Uh, now, that being said, I did think last year the rotation was puzzling. You know, and, and I think Bobby Bentley, Thomas Brown, Des Kitchings was really very good at knowing kind of when to put Fenwick in and all that in 2020. Last year was kind of a mystery. And 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 I think here's the problem is that I don't think you could be too punitive when it comes to running back rotation. I think this happened to Marshawn Lloyd. You know, Lloyd would get going. Obviously, he's got talent. He would get rolling. He'd have a big run, a big play, and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody would miss a jazz turning time. Somebody would miss a block. Somebody runs right into him, uh, and he took harder hits than any back I've seen at Carolina since Marcus Lattimore. Right. Lattimore took a lot of hits. And Marshawn lit up. Not his fault, but he fumbles, so he gets benched. What does that do for his confidence? And then, unfortunately, you know, last year he had had a great, great bunch of bowl practices and then, ah, tweaks his hamstring right before and he didn't get to play. I think we'd have seen some big plays from him uh, in that bowl game. But, uh, you know, it's probably good that Kevin Harris went out like he did, though, because I'm certainly – 182 yards, 31 carries. Last game as a game cocked. That that was big. But uh, you know, so so Lloyd in and out. You know, then you have Juju McDowell disappearing and coming back. And I don't think they ever figured out how to use him. Rashad Amos redshirted, obviously. So now you got Bill Smith and you got Lavoisier in there, and you know they, they got to maximize it. And so I looked at Georgia because Georgia. Georgia's been doing this for years. Uh, I know that they were not known for. You know, their offense last year, but I thought Todd Monken, with what he had, did a great job maximizing it. And then his play calling, you know, you think about recognizing that Alabama was sneaking that backup corner out there toward the end of the game and hitting the long one. I mean, that's great. That's the kind of stuff you look for, the the recognition and all that. But personnel-wise, Monken and Del McGee, you know, Georgia's always got a lot of backs. Well, I thought with watching them SEC championship game, they lost included playoff and all that. They were sort of good at at knowing how to rotate them 
and knowing the strengths and setting up plays for these guys uh, without giving it away. In other words, you know, you got a back that's a good receiver and you got a back that can't catch a cold or that's not really a receiving threat. And, you know, it's third down and, and you know, you're, you're rotating that back in and running this play that somebody scouted 15 times on a wheel route, they're going to cover it. You know, and, you know, if you only put them in on third down, you know, like the NFL, there used to be third down backs or all, you know, whatever. And 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 that's that's just not a philosophy in college football that's going to work. And South Carolina didn't – I know sometimes I keep harping that this is not the NFL. South Carolina didn't do that a lot last year. Uh, it really just made no sense. But, uh, you know, they, they, they'd have Zamir White. He was their number one back, 160 carries. And then James Cook was their number two, but he was a little different. Got 113 carries, but also caught uh, 27 passes. Then you got a third guy, Kenny McIntosh, 58 carries, but also caught 22 passes. So, you know, McIntosh and Cook were heavily involved. And then Kendall Milton, their young back, you know, 56 carries. Uh, Daywan Edwards, another young back, had a nose for the end zone, 49 carries, three touchdowns, you know, that kind of thing. And so they really did a great job at Georgia. And their lead two backs, their lead two backs, they combined for 1,500 yards. Uh, and then if you threw McIntosh, who played in every game in there, that's 1,800 yards. They rushed for 2,800. Um, well, they did a great job finding that sweet spot. And, and I think Carolina, Ontario, Hardesty, Marcus Satterfield, you name it, they all have, they need to do that with these guys, you know, because they all have sort of different strengths. It's not identical to Georgia. Uh, you know, to me, I think Lloyd and Bill Smith can be the one-two punch. I think McDowell does things good where you can put him in the slot. You can run him outside. You know, he needs his – he's kind of more of a specialized guy. He's also going to be a kick returner. I think Rashad Amos can probably be a short yardage back, 6'2", 220. And then you got Carroll, who also can line up at the slot and all that. So, this, this, these backs are not – they don't have identical skill sets to the ones at Georgia, but it's not about the skill set. It's not about the talent even. It's, it's about the process and the, the balance and, and how to play it. Uh, you know, and, and they all have different strengths, but they were very good at not, you know, like you like like Rashad Amos, the, the, the short yardage back. You know, they were very good at not putting their Rashad Amos out there in every short situation. Uh, they were good at not putting Cook on the field every time there was a passing down. You know, and then that, that's good because defensive coordinators are too good. They'll read that and eat you alive. Uh, Dante Miller is also coming in. Walk on from Columbia University, originally from North Carolina. Super fast, patient runner. So he, he could play a factor in uh, as well uh, from the running back room. But I, but I think that's probably an understated uh, want or desire uh, with this offense this year is to kind of get that room settled. Uh, and, and get guys comfortable with their roles. Now that they're competing right now for carries, all that good stuff, great. But there's room, I think, for all of them. These days in college football, the, the days of the workhorse back are kind of over. I mean, I mentioned Zamir White was their number one last year, uh, 160 carries. That's 47 more than the next guy. Uh, but that's not a whole lot of carries. I mean, he wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, you know, 31 carries a game or something like that. And so, I, and so I think you do need balance, you fresh legs, but you also have to play their strengths. And you also have to, like I said, let it make sense in terms of their role and the plays you call while you're in there, but don't give it away. You know, don't make it, don't tip anybody. Don't make it a, 
a give a giveaway, you know, or a fi- defensive coordinators call it a fish. Yeah, you're going fishing. And you're, oh, when this guy comes in, this happens. Uh, but anyway, pretty confident. Gamecocks can have an improved running game. I, I did make a statement today. I declare if they don't improve the run game, they're not their chances of improving their team uh, are not going to be good. Now, a lot goes into that, including an improved pass game. But they have to be able to run it more consistently. And when you saw last year when they were able to run the football, they usually were pretty good. Uh, pretty good. All right, time for the I Help Consulting Mailbag. And uh, if you're looking to save money on your business, then I Help Consulting, my friend Daniel Owens, uh, can help. I Help is a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only mission is to help you save money on expenses, whether you be, you're paying too much for credit card processing, internet, insurance, anything else, I Help can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if I help can't save your business any money, you don't pay them a thing. That's right. If I help can't help your business, it's no cost to you. So call or text my buddy, Daniel Owens, 843-372-5713, or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number again, 843-372-5713, I help consulting. How can I help you? Two ways to get it in the mailbag. First, you can tweet to me. At the Big Spur Pod, I answered all those yesterday. We don't have anything new. Please go follow that Twitter account. Oh, we got a few more. Got a few more follows yesterday. Um, Wow, Arch Manning is visiting Virginia. How about that for Tony Allen? Anyway. Um, Boy, that's that's kind of big news right there. Just going to kind of retweet that. Um, all right. So back to the mailbag, uh, Twitter at the big spur pod. Uh, please follow that. Please follow inside the game Cox on Instagram. That is a good social media channel. I've noticed a lot of you are doing that. And I appreciate that. That helps get the word out. You can also email us. And that's where I've got these two, uh, inside the game Cox at gmail.com. First one comes in from Mitchell. JC, hope all is well. It's been a while since I emailed him, but I wanted to ask two questions about the basketball programs. I emailed you one during the Lamont Paris hiring episode, but I think you deleted it. Yeah, there were a lot that came in because I didn't have an episode, and and it was kind of like, are we going to hire the, you know, and so I did that. First question is about Frank Martin and the men's program after the Final Four. What do you think was the biggest reason that South Carolina couldn't build off their success after going to Phoenix? You think there's a big boost in recruiting, getting money, et cetera. Personally, there's no reason why Tennessee, Auburn, and Arkansas should have leapfrogged Carolina so quickly after the 2017 Final Four run. Watching Gamecock basketball after that run was like going to a drive-in movie theater expecting to see The Dark Knight and you get Batman and Robin instead. Just an overall total disappointment. Boy, Batman and Robin was awful. Awful, Mitchell. Was that the one with Mr. Freeze, by the way, which was – hold on. I'm, I'm look at Batman and Robin. I mean, why Rob? I mean, don't be, you don't need Robin. You know, yeah, Schwarzenegger. Oh, no, no. Some of the – yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger, mad respect for Arnie, but not, the, not an award-winning actor by any stretch and was just awful. Uh, in that role, it's freeze, oil, freeze, oil, go, go, go. I'd rather watch Kindergarten Cop where they clamp on my nipples than watch that movie in that role. Anyway, 
that was funny, Mitchell. The the comparison there. Um, so what? Uh, I think I think the university at large shares some blame. The athletic department shares some blame, um, and, and I think they're trying to do the right thing because that year the girls won the national chat title, and a huge deal was made out of it. Uh, and I think just in terms of uh, from a PR standpoint, you know, I, I, the gosh, if you can believe it, the men going to the final four got overshadowed because they lost to Gonzaga. Uh, they made it to Monday night. Maybe it's a little bit different, but I don't know. So I think part of it was that. And I think part of it was, you know, you always want to be fair when you're Ray Tanner or the, the school or whatever, especially these days. And, and you know, so everybody's you know, building statues and hanging title banners and, and great and all the men with the final four, but that's that. You know, number two, I, I don't I don't know that Frank Martin doesn't share you know, some of the blame. I mean, he, he was kind of a victim of P.J. Dozier surprisingly going pro. I think he thought, yeah, he was coming back. Felder getting kicked off, um, you know, that kind of thing. Because you had Silva and Kotsar and Felder and Dozier coming back um, and then a class coming in. Uh, A.J. AJ Lawson wasn't there yet, but uh, – Got a class coming in, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, after that, they, they didn't close the deal. Some transfers, maybe they should have got. Maybe they should have been a little more uh, front and center with recruiting and selling it. Uh, and, and the talk was that they were, but it just didn't happen. Uh, and so I think there was that. And then, you know, that was kind of the failure to capitalize off the final four. Um, I think as far as those teams go between where we're at now and, and where they were then, you know, there was just a lot of, you know, I, I thought the team after the final four actually, you know, fought their butts off. I don't think they were particularly good. They were trying to piece it together. Frank Booker was actually the best player on the team. They finally bought it on defense and did a good job finishing 17 and 16 with a winning record. The next year, they got off to an atrocious start. You know, even that first team after the Final Four had a tough loss to Illinois State. That was kind of a resume booster. And then, then I think that team had a lot of close losses to some great teams like Tennessee and Texas Tech. And they couldn't get over the hump. And I think that, you know, one of the things, and this is not blaming the fans, but if you want to have a good basketball program, uh, one thing I think the basketball crowd at Carolina can do is get off this notion that the team has to be winning big for you to show up uh, and, and understand that in situations like, you know, really every year, um, except for this one, I'm going to, I'm going to back off of, of this one. And of course the COVID year where nobody could show up anyway, Every year there's been situations where Carolina's had uh, games to where if they win at home, they get on the right side of the bubble. And I don't know, but it, a sparse crowd, you know, it's not packed. It should be packed. It should be packed. Um, and maybe I'm being idealistic and run, unrealistic these days because, you know, Will Muschamp's first year, huge game against Missouri at home, um, you get a trophy for that game. It's four o'clock kickoffs. It's not even a new kickoff. You know, Jake Bentley had taken over. They just upset Tennessee. And if they win that one, 
with Western Carolina coming in the next week, they're probably going bowling, which would have been, which, which if you told me they were going to do that six games into that year, I'd have said no way. And uh, lots of empty seats. Lots of people that didn't even go in the stadium. I know it was a beautiful day and it's hard sometimes uh, to go in the stadium if you're having fun at the tailgate, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so at some point, I think, I think our people here need to kind of understand that sometimes you can't put the cart before the horse and rally, you know, uh, just when things are going well, that's called being a front runner. Uh, and I think there's a difference between, you know, I'm not talking about, Hey, look, this team's, four and 13 in the SEC, you know, four and 14 and everybody needs to gobble up all 500 tickets to go to the tournament and cheer them on, you know, just so they'll believe, just so they'll believe and click their heels together. And boy, jolly golly gee. No, no, nobody's asking you to go down with the ship. I think what people are asking you to do is when there's a chance to get that ship on course, maybe rally then and recognize that, you know, hey, yeah, this this isn't in football. That 2016 Missouri game, that, that, that's not the a top five matchup against Georgia like in 2012. But that game means something to a first-year head coach. You know, and, and, and look, uh, there are some embarrassing crowds for football this year. But I do think by and large, by the time – Auburn, the win over Auburn and the Clemson game, people rallied and said, oh, okay, you know, this means something. This is going to be good. And, and all that. Uh, basketball, I just don't think there was ever that um, that rallying point until this season, until this season. And, and, you know, LSU home game, Tennessee home game, good crowds, really good crowds. And, and, and that – and it wasn't like Carolina was a bunch of world beaters going in. You know, so hats. So that's the kind of thing I think that the fans can do, uh, or that could have done that, that may have helped. Because you know, you get a packed, loud place, and you're playing Alabama or whatever. Even though Alabama's owned you, um, you know that, that helps your team. And now, like that crowd with LSU game, this should help them help them win. Didn't help them much against Tennessee, did it? Help them win. And so I, I think that's uh, that's it. You, know, you talked about Tennessee, Auburn, Arkansas leapfrogging the Gamecocks. Look, Arkansas, that's a different animal. It was a matter of time. You know, they had to find the right coach uh, to get them back. Tennessee's been good, Mitchell, more so more times than they haven't. Uh, they went through a period there where Quanzo Martin left them. They hired the guy from Southern Miss. It was awful. They get rid of him. And Rick Barnes falls in their lap. But, you know – when they've had Jerry Green, who for some reason they fired, or a Bruce Pearl or a Rick Barnes, you know, they've been pretty good. Whereas when they've had Alan Houston's or Buzz Peterson's or, you know, the guy from Southern Message name escapes me, they haven't been. They're pretty good under Quanzo Mark. So, and then Auburn just built a new arena and then hired one of the better coaches in the country, regardless of what you think of him, to come in. You know, so, so I think – one of those three, you know, is a is a program leapfrogging the Gamecocks. Yeah, I think Tennessee and Arkansas have always been a little more consistent than South Carolina since they've joined the league, since the Gamecocks have joined the league. And, of course, you know, that shouldn't come as, as a surprise. But, hey, look, 
you got Texas A&M on the rise now. You got Georgia way down at the bottom. You got LSU. The bottom has fallen out there. Mississippi State hired a really good coach, but they're kind of on the downtrend. Ole Miss is on the downtrend. You know, Missouri just hired a new coach. I mean, it's not like where you sat there a couple of years ago and you're like, Quanzo Martin's getting five stars at Missouri. And Will Wade's building a monster at LSU. And, and then, you know, the Kermit Davis at Ole Miss, one of the tournament his first year. Ben Allen's still at Mississippi State. You know, Florida's got a new coach. You know, Mike White's now at Georgia. So, I, you know, I don't know that, you know, Arkansas, Tennessee, Auburn, do I expect them to continue to be good? Yes. Alabama's going to continue to be good. But I don't, I don't know that there's as much of a, you know, Gamecocks looking up at everybody else as there was. I don't know what's going to happen if, uh, you know, with Lamont Paris or this team or this program. But I, I think that the, the, there's not as much traffic in front of them, if that's that's uh, if that makes sense. And we can get into more of that later. Thanks, Mitchell, for the email. Well, you got another question. Stun- Mitchell says he's stunned at how Don Staley's squad completely outperformed and dominated UConn for 40 minutes. Reminded me of when Clemson dominated Bama in 2019. I know you're not a women's basketball expert, but how was Don able to build a winning program in women's basketball that's now become dominant so quickly? Well, she's been there about 10 years. I mean, you know, it didn't happen overnight. There was, I think there was a losing season, you know, in her first year. And then I think, and look, building in the women's game is way different than the men's game now because of the, you do have the transfer portal, but you also have older players. You know, you don't have folks going pro as early and all that good stuff. Um, you know, and, and the short answer is she signed a bunch of McDonald's All-Americans. <laughs> so the first year, 10 and 18, losing record, 14 and 15, and then it got going. So in 2011, they scratched out a winning record and went to the women's NIT, got in the second round. You know, 2012, Sweet 16. 2013, second round. 2014, Sweet 16. Uh, and that was a disappointing year. Uh, 2015, and people started grumbling then. She ever going to take us to the well? Then they got the final four. Then there was a Sweet 16 upset in 2016. Then they won it all. <laughs> then they got back to the Elite Eight. And the next year, 2019, took a little dip, got to the Sweet 16. 2020, number one in the country. They finished that way. There was no tournament. And then final four, and then they won it again. So when you have 11 McDonald's All Americans on your roster, they all buy in. You know, people wonder why Kentucky loses basketball games. I don't think all every year they buy in. And what was so sad about them losing to St. Peter's this year is you watch Kentucky this season and you think, oh, Cal's got them all playing good together, and then they just blow it. Um, I say that like I'm disappointed. I'm not disappointed. It's you know, I'm not a Kentucky basketball fan or anything. But uh, when you can get them to buy in, and, and you can tell the girls buy in because they play defense like they do. You know, and, and that insulates you sometimes from bad shooting days. Um, you're you're going to be able to have one of the best programs in the country. And when you do it, you know, for as long as she's been there, like, I actually, she's actually been there 14 since 08, 09. So this is what, season 13. So, yeah, she's been there a while. And, you know, it, it took her two years. Uh, three, for, she made the NCAA tournament her fourth. And, and I think that was the hope with Frank. You know, yeah, yeah, a couple bad years, and then above water, and then they got screwed, and then the Final Four, and you think, well, that's it's a linear build. 
unfortunately for men's basketball here, you know, you've never been able to sustain it. So that's, uh, you know, that, that's been the problem. Now, let's just go look at the Susan Walvius era in women's basketball. And let's look. Cause Susan Walvius had a breakthrough year. Man, we just don't uh, – it's the head coaching record. There we go. University of South Carolina. 03, they went 23-8. and eight. Ranked 18th. Um, all right, 0102, they went to the Elite Eight and lost to the uh, Duke Blue Devils. Um, then they won the first round and 03 got upset. And then uh, that was it. So in the women's game, you know, Wavius got it going. Uh, and then, uh, didn't kind of like Frank Martin got all the way to the elite eight lost to Duke, but then didn't get back. So I don't know that you can say the women's program has been the most consistent to this date either. This is not, sometimes it takes the right person to come in and recruit and make it happen. Now, do I think Lamont Paris is going to be able to recruit like Don Staley? I, I doubt it, you know, maybe in time, but who knows? You never know. You, you just never know. And uh, like I said, in the men's game, you have so many guys that leave early to play overseas and go pro or whatever. You know, the portal is alive and well in the women's game too, but, it, you know, the men's game is very transitional. So this may just be like who's the best at putting a roster together on an annual basis, and we're all sitting here every year going, who's going to play for the Gamecocks next year? So we'll see what happens. So I, I appreciate that, Mitchell. Uh, one more question. Jim. Would love to hear your take on this. Feels like the national outlets that cover college football might have realized they're way too focused on the playoffs the last few years. Uh, I've worked in broadcast for 21 years. I get the business model on focusing on what the largest chunk of the population wants to know, but I also think there's a lot of fatigue over the same five or six teams getting all the attention, while we ignore most of us uh, that, that have loved what we've loved about college football forever, the second and third tier teams. Uh, fortunately, we have content from you, and other Gamecock-centric outlets. Josh Payne has done a fantastic job of covering the country and not just the playoffs. And yeah, places like Saturday Down South and other conference-focused outlets. But I feel like we're starting to see a shift away from all playoff all the time. Maybe it's just wishful thinking. You know, throw out ESPN. They're fantastic for content, but I've tuned out their analysis. I don't think there's some grand conspiracy or mandate from above, but just the general culture and mindset. I think their play-by-play overall is good, but some are a bit full of themselves. Yeah, not Mike Morgan. Just want to say that. Um, and I'll take a local broadcast every day. I mean, Todd Ellis, that's a man. That's a catch. Oh, down to the 25 years old. It's pure gold. Yeah. I, you know, I used, to, I used to be critical of Todd Ellis, the voice of the Gamecocks. And, you know, and, and I'll just be honest. I, I thought it was a sham that Mike Morgan did not get the job cover, talking football and that he, then he was, you know, whatever happened with, with him having to leave and he's better off now anyway. And it's not just, he wasn't my friend then. I didn't know him, uh, but I thought it was USC politics at its worst that that happened. Nowadays though, uh, you don't have 
there's no more Larry Munson. There's no more Bob Fulton. There's no more Jim Phillips. You know, some of the older guys that, that have done it that were like that are starting to retire. You have these new guys. Uh, and, and, and it's not as important as it once was when there are only like two games on TV a year and everybody kind of sat around the radio like when I was a kid and listened to football and basketball. Uh, so Todd now ha- has transcended that period where everybody wants like a, you know, pro broadcaster. And uh, he's unique, and he's it's funny. Yeah, he's quirky, but he's funny. Uh, and and I, I don't mean – I'm not making fun of him. I just think he's hilarious as far as, you know, some of his gaffes and what he says and stuff like that. Very entertaining. And I, and I think it's become much more about entertainment with that. As far as the coverage goes, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't – you know, ESPN I – mean, I, I, and honestly, Jim – I have not watched – this is probably the first time in my life years I have not really watched much or paid attention to a lot of college football because uh, I was really focused on basketball for a few weeks and helping the site with the search. is the most immersed I've been in basketball in a while for whatever reason. Um, but uh, so I haven't noticed any trends. I, I, I do think, you know, the athletic, when you look at their coverage, there's – some agenda that's taking place now with the NIL and all that. And of course, when you're talking about Tennessee, that's that they're, they're not really a playoff contender or whatever. Um, do I think it helped that Georgia and LSU have won national titles in the last three years? Yes. Uh, I do think that helps the sport. Uh, and you're right. Josh, Josh talks about it. And Josh, Josh made this point on this podcast last summer. Uh, we were talking, he's like, you know, Carolina, you know, six and three in November, hosting Tennessee, eight and two, looking to get to the, you know, and the winner gets the Gator Bowl, most likely. You know, that used to be a huge game, you know, for, for the Gamecocks and Vols. You know, you're sitting there, you know, you get six wins, you want to get a seven, it improves your bowl. Uh, standing and it, it used to be a big game, and sometimes you know, it'd be on ESPN or you know, national television or whatever. He's like, Well, that, that's just gotten lost with all the playoff talk. Now, Josh doesn't want to expand the playoff, and I get it, you know, I think there's some people that, yeah, and I'm a traditionalist like he is, I'd worry about the Bulls, and you know, th- there's a lot of dumb people <laughs> that, that are running the playoff and bowl thing right now, dumb, dumb, dumb. Yeah, you know, and or, or they're making decisions based on things other than what's best for the sport. Um, I don't think twelve team expansion is not. I think that's good for the sport. I think killing the bowls is not good for the sport. I mean, I think they need to figure that out. But uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I and I think from a Carolina perspective too, because you have two neighbors that are really good that get all the hype. It gets on your nerves. You, you don't want to hear about that all the time. You know, and then the minute, you know, another neighbor that, that you know, you, you kind of think you've caught up to does something the least little bit good, the hype is off the chain. North Carolina, I'm talking about North Carolina and Tennessee. You know, those teams were a combined 13 and 13 last year. Carolina was one and one. You know, somebody goes on the record that's running a Tennessee collective and says, I'm going to give, you know, the quarterback $8 million, you know, blah. And some quarterback from California commits. Josh Heupel's a hero. Yeah, they were seven and six. Yeah. 
And I, I think watching them last year, I am much more of a Josh Heupel guy than I was because his offense is much more like a Bryles style offense. And that's because Jeff Levy worked for him at UCF than, than the spread or whatever they're trying to do at Oklahoma, Missouri, which I didn't think worked. Bryles certainly works. Uh, so I am much more comfortable with what they're doing. I think they played an exciting brand of football. Nothing against them, but you see some of these things, and it's like, man, this is the – how many coaches now? Tennessee's back. Give it more than one year. Jerry Pruitt won eight. In a year he lost to BYU and Georgia State. Butch Jones won nine. Champion of life. Derek Dooley never had a winning season, but he went to a bowl. Lane Kiffin went seven and six his first year, lost to Virginia Tech in the Peach Bowl. And this is another thing against Tennessee. I have a lot of friends that are Tennessee fans. But the minute one of those other neighbor schools does something, you know, they get, you know, hyped up. North Carolina, my God. I mean, you, you'd think second commander in the top 10, right? You know, nobody wants to hear about that if you're a Gamecock and you're struggling and you're having to make coaching changes and all that. Nobody wants to hear about it. And, you know, then you have a good year and you finish strong and you got a lot of good players coming back. You got an excellent portal class, like I outlined. And, uh, yeah, you're like all 11th. They're going to be 11th out of 14 teams, power ranking-wise, in the SEC. Why? You think the roster at South Carolina, worse than the roster at Mississippi State? I don't think so. I think Leach has a hell of a quarterback and a great defensive coordinator. You know, do you really think – you know, because some people loved Jackson Dart last year at Southern Cal where stats aren't all that good. You, you really think that just because Lane Kiffin's coaching him after losing 17 starters, coordinators everywhere else, and Zach Evans, you know, comes in at running back, you know, he's going to keep on rolling. By the way, Levy's gone to Oklahoma. Not that I think Lane can't call the offense. You know, uh, they're up there. Yeah, Arkansas, I'm certainly a Sam Pittman guy. I certainly love the Hogs. You know, they they lost a lot of players in the portal. You know, had, had a good year. Were they going to be able to recapture the magic of their first four games last season? And Texas A&M had a historically good recruiting class. All those guys are freshmen. Freshmen. They're way up there. Oh, it's their year. LSU, oh, you just have to put them up there, even though they lost half their roster and they have a new coach, you know. And, and so people, if you're a game coach, you get sick of it. You know, Florida, Billy Napier spending a bunch of money. Yeah, he ran off half of his recruiting class and have his team, and he's openly talking about having it at the portal, which there's a lot less, you know, in terms of quality players in the football portal between the end of spring practice and summer than there is normal time. Yet, you know, Billy Napier, he's spending money. Great. Go Gators. Put them eighth. But the game costs 11, you know, people get sick of that, you know, because when you think it's your turn, you know, you, you look and you say, okay, well, good finish. Wasn't a perfect team. This, this will improve. That will improve. They got a quarterback. Finally, they get this, that, and the other, a lot of players coming back that are old, which is a good thing in football. You think, well, maybe they'll, you know, South Carolina could be a dark horse or something. I think it's kind of in terms of impacting the bottom line next year, wins and losses wise, I would want to stay under the radar as much as possible, as much as possible. Let everybody talk about how Arkansas is going to blow you out week two and go out there and and get a W. 
And then later I talk about how Georgia has just too much talent, too much talent for the Gamecocks. They're just too talented. Let them come in and take your shot. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. Yeah, that was a historic defense last year. And then we see all the, like I've talked about, the, the measurables for their defense. And, you know, they got freaks like that to replace them. I'm sure they got freaks. I don't know. Somebody should ask Kirby Smart about that. It's, it's hard to keep it going unless you were Alabama. And people can say that Jimbo and Kirby worked for Nick Saban all they want. Yeah, I think Kirby did a great job building it. I don't think they're done winning national championships, but, you know, even Saban, after he won his first one, that next year's team, we all remember the 2010 Bama team, a lot of good players, lost three games. Bounce back the next year. You know, so, so let everybody talk about how, ah, Carolina, blah, 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 blah. Let, let everybody talk. I would, you know, if I was sitting there, I'd, in fan land, I'd probably just, you know, be understated about it, you know, and then see what happens because there's a lot of good roster wise that's taken place probably more so than the quote unquote experts believe. And I've told you this and been honest with you. I told you that, uh, you know, the, 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 the roster was not as bad last year as people made it out to be, and it was not. I mean, that you know, you don't – I don't care. People can say Florida quit, whatever. Uh, they quit, but, you know, they had enough in them to beat Florida State who desperately needed to beat them. You know, it's not like Missouri blew them out the next week like Carolina did. You know, I think by the time the bowl game got there, everybody, they were kind of focused on something else, and UCF hit them in the mouth. You know, you can say what you want about Auburn. They were sitting at six and two in the top 15 at one point. They collapsed, you know. Uh, you can say what you want about North Carolina not being good on defense, but, hey, look, you know, they had talent. They were a 12-and-a-half point favorite. And so if you don't have good players, you're not winning any of those games. You're probably losing to Vanderbilt. So, anyway, that's uh, that's my take on, on all of this. and I probably got off track there, Jim, but I hope I gave you a good answer. All right, folks, I want you to have a good weekend. I'll go check out the White Sox and the Braves and the Cubbies today. We'll watch a little MLB and um, look for that basketball news if it hadn't already broken. Be sure to check out thebigspur.com. I have more announcements next week about Carolina Rise, uh, the collective that we are starting to – in other words, you guys send money to collect the collective. Uh, it's a kind of a crowdsource thing. And then uh, the collective pays student athletes at Carolina for name, image, and likeness promotional opportunities. Uh, I've got uh, the paperwork's filed. I got a tax ID number for it, uh, bank account, and a PO box. If you guys want to get a jump on donating, I think we're probably still 30 days or so away from being live on the internet, but uh, it is an entity. So it's very exciting. And I'll have more info on that next week uh, and all that. I want to give everybody kind of the weekend to chill. All right, folks, have a great one. I didn't even mention the masters. I should have. Uh, so uh, enjoy the masters. And, and, and I'm kind of hoping tiger wins <laughs> uh, just cause I love the story sucker for the story. All right, folks. Uh, 
Talk to you soon. This is JC Sherbert inside the Gamecast podcast.